I remember I was part of two different efforts to find a candidate. And the first one just completely ran dry. And then all of a sudden, uh, we finally, uh, I just suddenly hear like, oh, we found someone who's willing to run. Uh, her name's Katie Cashman. And I said, I don't know who this is. This name has never come up in all of these meetings I've been sitting through. Who is this person? What, what, what's going on? Will they be good? Uh, I talked to her and then I realized immediately, like, this is a winner through, through this struggle to find a candidate. Somehow we landed upon perhaps the perfect person versus this other side that has all the resources that you could imagine and they can't come up with someone. I think that's astonishing. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. Stop, stop, stop this. I have got it's always heavily edited. I thought this was a live podcast about wedge issues. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not no. at all. Mm. This is the wedge live cat. This is, I almost called the wedge live cast. This is a wedge live podcast, which is a mm. recorded podcast about wedge issues. Uh, I'm your host, John Edwards. Joining me today is Chaz Mayo. Is it Chaz Mayo or Chaz Mayo? What's the classy way to say your name? Like, like mayonnaise. Like, like the condiment. So I contacted uh, Katie Cashman. I said, who can I talk to at your campaign that could explain to me the astonishing result that made me so happy on election night? And it was Chaz Mayo. That's who I was supposed to contact. That's why I brought you here. Because really surprising. I don't know if the uninitiated, even people who follow politics, understand the earth shattering result of flipping ward seven, obviously like the council would not have flipped to what people say is a progressive council, if not for winning in ward seven. And when Soren Stevenson didn't win in ward eight, which a lot of people expected, well, he's got a good shot there. Like if ward seven does not go, which is hugely surprising, then there is no change in the dynamic on the council really. So it's a huge deal, uh, Chaz, and welcome to the, this uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my podcast debut. I'm very excited. You have anything to add to my like deep astonishment? I remember talking to you. I don't know if it was a couple of weeks before the election. I don't know if I had expressed skepticism to you or online or what. And you were like, no, it's happening. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're it's wrong. Been, it's been really gratifying uh, the last uh, the last little bit since the election, because uh, pretty much since the day I met Katie, uh, Recently, she sent me a, a screenshot of an old tweet from the day I met her at Sisyphus Brewing, where the victory party was last night. And I was saying, like, Katie's going to win. We've got it. I looked over the numbers of what happened in 2022 versus 2021. And then I met Katie and realized that she was an excellent candidate. And I, I've been saying all year, all 2023, we've got this. And I, and I was getting skepticism from everybody. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's really gratifying to see that, yes, yes, we did pull this off. So I thought, I thought I was pretty, I felt pretty good about 2017. I was not like, this is happening for sure. 
but then you get the election results. The reason my my skepticism is well earned over many years of watching people who I think are good candidates run very good, well funded campaigns, and just coming up short. Of course, that's against Lisa Goodman and not not in an open seat year. But uh, and I feel bad because people like you are working hard, and I don't want to express public uh, criti- uh, skepticism. <laughs> when people are working very hard and candidates are working very hard, they're not doing anything wrong. And so uh, congratulations to me for mostly keeping quiet about how deeply skeptical I was that this would happen. Uh, so I thought we would start by talking about like what Ward 7 is, like geographically. I think of it as like two or three very different places. It's kind of a unique mm-hmm. place. It's not, uh, what's the word? What's the word for that? Uh, mono something? monoculture uh, it's very diverse yeah like there's a dense part of the ward a low density part of the ward but like describe that to me as someone who uh, thought about this very uh, deeply this year volunteering on katie's campaign as well as volunteering on nick core's campaign two years ago uh in both uh when you're door knocking through the ward there's kind of two distinct sides that we talk about and one's a little bit more of the downtown loring park loring heights it's much more renter heavy, it's much more dense, it feels very like urban versus this other half that includes, you know, Bryn Mawr, the lakes areas, etc. that is more based in like single family housing, isn't as dense, uh, tends to be typically viewed as more conservative by Minneapolis standards. Uh, let's talk about who Lisa Goodman is. 26 years of Lisa Goodman. Uh, so who is Lisa Goodman? Been around for 26 years, deeply conservative. We don't have to spend a ton of time talking about Lisa Goodman, but it's in my notes, so we have to. Uh, previously, the the longest serving member of the Minneapolis City Council, as you said, 26 years. Um, I think we would both agree one of the one of the most conservative members of the City Council um, and definitely a bit of a power broker, like makes the wheels move, isn't there just as a vote, is a very influential right. force in city politics, I think is fair to say. Um, I guess you, you would have more to say because you've you've actually lived here longer and she's, I'm True. I'm only 27, so she's neither, been here almost my entire life. Uh, yeah, neither one of us is old enough or has been here long enough to remember the beginnings of Lisa Goodman. So maybe she was a progressive firebrand when it started. I have no idea. I'm kind of skeptical of that, but maybe. But by the end, by the the 10 years I've been here, plus uh, she has been like one of the two most conservatives and certainly the most influential, blows up a lot of street projects. Like I Mm-hmm. I want to see safer streets in the city. And she like gets in the way of that third Avenue comes to mind. Uh, that could have been a four to three conversion easily, but it wasn't because of her. So stuff like that. Very influential as Chad says. So theories, theories of why this has happened. One of them is Scott Graham, terrible candidate, uh, tired old white guy, kind of shady <laughs> history. What was that? My dog is barking over there. Okay, buddy. Come on. Sorry, he's a nervous guy. He's a good guy. Okay. He's nervous. It's okay. Is he responding to my voice? I don't think so. I don't know what it is. He's giving me a concerned look, though. Oh, maybe it was when I, I mentioned Scott Graham and he immediately started barking. Dogs are for Katie. We we crunched the numbers on this. We got the exit polls. Dogs, uh, they're, they're very loyal uh, Cashman voters. Right. And this might be politically incorrect for me to say, but they say dogs can like smell cancer. They can also sense when you're talking about Scott Graham. Uh, 
<laughs> so tired old white guy, shady history as a landlord, kind of an unappealing candidate. If I was going to dream up a candidate uh, this year in an open seat where you like, this creates a prime opportunity for a progressive to pick up in Ward 7, you would run Scott Graham. You, you would want to run against Scott Graham. Another theory is Katie Cashman is just a wonderful candidate, smart, prepared, uh, hopeful, kind of a bright, shiny uh, figure that uh, can inspire people. Uh, not a tired old white guy. That's another theory. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, the campaign. Like either Scott Graham ran a horrible campaign, just didn't do what he needed to do, wasted money on a billboard. Uh, what are you doing, Scott Graham? And Katie Cashman just ran a really great campaign. Lots of people like you were super inspired to work for her like no one has ever worked for a Ward 7 challenger before. So those are my three theories. Are there other theories that could explain this? And how do you like, what do you think of those as explanations? Yeah, I think I think they're all contributing factors. Like you can't say that any of those are not true and it's hard to pin it down on any given one. Uh, I think Katie is a very, a very good candidate. She's very charismatic. She is very clear in her communication. And you can tell just by talking to her that she has the courage of her convictions, which is the most important thing that you want to see from a city council member. Um, And as we alluded to earlier, um, when I've heard stories of when Lisa Goodman took her seat, like she was viewed as much more progressive and probably wasn't, you know, uh, you know, the most wild lefty of all time, but probably a similar progressive figure to Katie. Um, but I have much higher hopes for Katie's political future because of um, the courage of her convictions that I don't think she's going to, um, you know, shift on us over time. I think she's really going to keep her eye on the prize as far as principles. Yeah, so I think that is, that's an important factor. Scott Graham as well didn't seem to have the same uh, skill at retail politics, let's say. Like he, he doesn't have the same charisma. He doesn't have the same almost like stage presence like you'd expect from somebody like running for office. And then what was the what was the third one you brought up? Just the style of the campaign? Cashman's campaign was just had a lot of people like you, so many volunteers, just a, a more energized uh, campaign with more talented people working harder to get her elected. And that was the difference. I think I think that was a big factor as well. We had many, many, many more uh, volunteers this year for Katie than we did two years ago for Nick. Remember on Nick's campaign, I, I heard a lot more of people kind of telling us they were rooting for us from the sidelines, but not as pe- not as many people signing up for volunteer shifts, going out knocking doors. There was just a smaller crew, as well as what changed this year. Uh, something I've been saying all year, which people were really skeptical about, is that I looked at the Hennepin County Attorney's race in 2022. And how uh, if you look at just the Ward 7 precincts, Mary Moriarty won Ward 7. Um, And I kind of looked at this as a potential kind of corollary to how things might pan out in 2023. And people were saying like, oh, that's a different thing. It's not a city council race. Uh, It's too different. It's not worth comparing. But I thought it was actually pretty useful in that it is giving us a scenario. So um, precinct by precinct turnout was not very different in Ward 7 from 2021 to 2022. So we see about the same turnout. Now we see what things look like with, uh, after redistricting. And we also have a scenario where largely the issue of the election is crime, but it's not as heated as it was in 2021. And we have uh, Lisa Goodman is not running, but she has endorsed one of the candidates. 
So we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of the same factors we're going to see in this last year, 2023. Um, and the numbers were so different. Um, in 2021, Nick only won one single precinct, uh, 710, that's Loring Heights, uh, very small neighborhood. Versus- Nobody votes there. <laughs> well, there's not many people there. It's, it's half of the smallest neighborhood in Minneapolis. It's a very dense neighborhood and the turnout is so low. It's very high renter. Uh, it's like Whittier, except it's in Ward 7. It's like the yeah. part that you think maybe this is attached to Whittier, but it's across Franklin Avenue. Yeah, exactly. Um, versus in 2022, you see Mary won every precinct except for 7-2, that's Kenwood, except for 7-4, that's Cedar Isles Dean, and except for uh, 7-7, which is Southern Bryn Mawr. And even then, it's much, much closer than we see uh, in 2021. Whereas in Kenwood, Lisa uh, got about 1,000 votes versus Nick's 150. Um, But then in 2022, Martha Holden Dimmick only got 700 compared to Mary's 450. So even in neighborhoods that are still like uh, going the more conservative option, uh, we're seeing things are a little bit closer, which leads us to kind of one of two possibilities or a combination of them both, which is there's a genuine sea change, hearts and minds are being changed on, on these issues, yeah. or we see that maybe people had more of a particular affection for this one candidate than necessarily the, the whole ideology that uh, they represent. So what I did, so first, before I go back and talk about what I, how I was looking at it, uh, why do you think there was more? Because 2021 was such a, people were really energized on both sides. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear you say, well, Katie Cashman had so many more uh, volunteer, uh, was filling those volunteer shifts to a degree that Nick Core wasn't in 21. What do you think accounts for that? Because you would think you'd have a harder time getting people energized in 23. Yeah, I think, well, first and foremost, uh, there's the existence of Faith in Minnesota and them uh, really turning out volunteer recruitment in Ward 7 particularly uh, was a big factor. And we had we had a we were really grateful for the the hundreds of volunteer shifts that were filled by Faith in Minnesota volunteers Uh, as well. I think we just got a, a lot more people jumping in, maybe because there was a lot less there were far fewer competitive wards this year. So I think we had some people who had door knocking energy, but nowhere to go uh, with it in their neighborhood. So they came over and helped us out as well as I think it just being an open race and not having kind of not having to go up, up against the Lisa Goodman campaign powerhouse uh, just made it feel more possible and made people feel a little, little bit more encouraged to go out and door knock and that it might lead to something. Yeah, that's interesting because Elliot Payne didn't really have a challenger. Robin Wansley didn't have a challenger. Uh, Jason Chavez didn't really have a challenger. All those seats, which had been kind of competitive last time around, uh, not so much. Although, did it, well, who ran against Elliot Payne last time? I can't even remember. Uh, Kevin, it Kevin? Is, it, is it Reich or Reich? Oh, wow. I have forgotten Kevin Reich so quickly. I didn't realize he, hang, he hung around until 21. Wow. Poor Kevin Reich. I forgot about him. Mm. So, so that, those are all interesting. People have talked about faith in Minnesota. Have they ramped up their uh, political activities since last time? 
Um, I can I can only speak to the volunteers that they turn out in Ward Seven, uh, and it was it was it was a healthy number of people, and a lot of them signed up for multiple shifts, which was great. I was reading a, an article about I think it was maybe Ward Three in St. Paul, hmm. and Faith in Minnesota came up in that as like wow they were really decisive in I think it was the DFL endorsement situation in Ward Three earlier this year, so they're becoming a bigger factor maybe. Yeah, as well as the Faith in Minnesota volunteers tend to be on the older side compared to uh, people who you know, are just really into door knocking and will go onto the website and sign up tend to be younger. And I think having um, like older advocates for a progressive candidate, especially in um, the more kind of conservative single family home side of the ward is really persuasive to people. Um, yeah. And it's, it's breaking this narrative that's kind of been spun that like any progressive challenger in ward seven is some sort of like, you know, young disruptive type who doesn't really know the ways of the world yet. Yeah, it's Faith in Minnesota is uh, the left's answer to the senior DFL caucus, who I imagine yeah. is not going out and door knocking for anyone. They are just cranky on next door. Uh, the cool hip seniors at the Faith in Minnesota. So what I did, the way I looked at this year's result is I looked at 2017. Okay. Uh, when, when my friend Yana Flistrand ran against uh, Lisa Goodman, I didn't see any huge differences but obviously, Katie Cashman won in more places. But when I looked at the numbers where I really saw the huge res difference in Goodman's number, because that's how I compared them. Like, what did Goodman get compared to Scott Graham in 23? So Goodman 2017, Graham 23. And the only huge difference I noticed was a 16-point drop in Goodman's home precinct, which is Bryn Mawr North in mm. Precinct 7-1. And so that stood out to me. Obviously, uh so West Makaska is new as a precinct yes. in Ward 7, and Cashman won that. Mm -hmm. And so, so did Mary Moriarty. So it seems like that's been both both of the new precincts in Ward 7 uh, have gone progressive in both elections they've been involved with since they entered the ward. Is the other new precinct in downtown? Yes, it's a, just an additional chunk of downtown. I think Scott Graham did better than Goodman in one place, which is Bryn Mawr South, which I think is his home precinct. That that is where he lives. I do know that, and it seems like he he came twenty votes short of what Lisa got in twenty seventeen. But that's an amount of votes. I don't have the percentages. Yeah, I think he was up two percent in that one, based on what I what I looked at. Are there any places where you're like, I remember going to this building or this neighborhood and being like, yeah, we really made a difference there. Uh, have you looked at anything in the results? that are like, yeah, I know what we did to make that happen. That's a, that's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about it in those specific terms before, but um, yeah, this sheet, like I showed you before, without uh, the numbers from this year on there, I, I made this cause I was, I had gone over the numbers and I was making this case about why Word 7 was possible. And Katie asked me to kind of print it up in a nice little fact sheet for her, along with some demographics uh, information about, uh, the ward, because uh, one thing that's really great about Katie is that she's always really interested in seeing the data and hearing out an interpretation on it. Um, and and I made this point of all these precincts where gains were made, uh, even if the precinct as a vote share didn't go progressive um, compared, as I said, comparing 2021 and 2022 in Cedar Isles Dean, uh, it goes conservative in both elections, but 
with the same turnout, Mary picks up 500 more votes than what Nick got. And uh, this was, and I remember on Nick's campaign, I don't think we really did have a heavy involvement in places like Cedar Isleson. So it was really um, a strength of Katie to just listen of where where there was opportunity to create success where it had not in uh, previous city council elections and have a presence there. And it was really just, I, I, I can't really say it comes down to just one place or one area, but it was it was a willingness to really try to reach out to everyone. Yeah. So I, the tendency in Ward 7 can be like, we're never going to get Kenwood, uh, F Kenwood. <laughs> why try? Mm-hmm. Why why bother canvassing around the lakes? Am I really going to go to a big mansion and win someone over? Uh, I don't know if that's how campaigns really operate. That's just my like uh, non-professional outsider's view. <laughs> why bother? Uh, did you notice a difference in the approaches, the campaign strategies between uh, 21 and, and the Nick Core campaign and Katie Cashman? Was she just like more open? We're going to go everywhere. Yeah. Um, and particularly uh, the volunteer campaign, uh, the volunteer team going everywhere uh, under Nick Core's. I know they had the budget for um, some canvassers from the People's Canvas. Uh, and they tended to focus on the single family home areas, uh, partially because they had the infrastructure and their company's tablets with them to be able to take donations at the door from in neighborhoods that would be more likely to give big donations, Uh, whereas the volunteer team mostly focused on just apartments. Uh, And in Katie's campaign, uh, of the four days of door knocking we regularly had through most of the campaign, uh, two were dedicated to apartment door knocks, and two of those days were dedicated to uh, single-family home areas. Um, So you have the the presence of the candidate and of the most, like, passionate volunteers uh, more distributed throughout the ward, rather, just in one area that does tend to have lower turnout. So I interviewed Julia, Julia Curran towards the end, and she had some not so uh, great things to say about Scott Graham's performance as a landlord. Mm. Julia was a tenant of Graham's back in the 2011 era. Were Mm -hmm. people hearing that? Did you notice that people were aware of that and that was having an impact? Yeah, especially when that um, first broke. Uh, we started hearing at the doors a little bit, uh, but mostly in the context of how defensive he was at the uh, League of Women Voters Forum about it. Uh, that same one where he came out swinging against Katie in his opening remarks. Um, and I think people really did not respond to that well. Like it, it, he was trying to, his counter to that story was that, oh, this is no big deal. This is standard and routine uh, type of stuff in this business. Um, And I think people who wanted to believe that quickly believe that. But I think for, you know, just your median voter, something about how defensive he got about it seemed to be kind of contradictory to the uh, no big deal narrative he was trying to spin. And he never quite acknowledged that, like, yeah, I owned that home. He immediately turned it into, no, I was managing properties for other people, which may it may have been a part of his business. But in that case, no, you own that home. So he never quite even addressed uh, what Julia was saying. And then when he came out uh, attacking, uh, this is, I should probably be asking this too, but like his attack at at the opening question where you like introduce yourself, hi, I'm Scott Graham, and this is what I do, and this is why you should like me. 
he, the second half of his answer was like, this Katie Cashman has been endorsed by some people who have connections to some socialists. And uh, they also have connections to people who want to abolish the police and defund the police and trying to tag her with things she has not said or professed, organizations she doesn't belong to. Uh, you don't see that at local candidate forums at all. And that's what I kind of knew. Scott Graham is knows that he has a problem and is uh, going on the attack. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a point in the campaign that start like it, it was very solidified by that forum. But it was, uh, we were kind of seeing it throughout in the little whispers we were hearing, especially as we, we went in doorknock buildings that it turned out Scott had recently been at. Um, where we're starting to see the, the behavior of a guy who didn't feel confident that he was winning. I don't, I cannot say for sure this this was true, but at one building, uh, someone told us that Scott had been there uh, like the day before or something and had said something to the tune of like, I, I may give you heartburn, but Katie Cashman will give you an ulcer. And there, there's a moment where you just want to be like, come on, man, like, like. Cheer up. I, Is that the best thing you have to say for yourself? Like, Yeah, I suck. I know I suck, but <laughs> look at this other person. Oh, do you really want that? Yeah, that's yeah, not an and, inspiring message. And then to come out swinging with this very tenuous charge of, oh, people who like her also like people that you may not like. Like, it's very, it's very tangential. And, it, and it, it's to me like reads a little hypocritical when in the same forum you're saying like, oh, let's hold Katie accountable for uh, who people that are a fan of her are also a fan of while also saying like, oh, but these aren't quite my buildings. I'm just managing them. Like, it's like, are we counting tenuous connections or are we not? <laughs> uh, yeah. And also he has direct connections to the buildings he's managing. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, Another thing, when I talked to Katie on uh, that bike ride podcast episode, when mm. I asked her, like, what what are the, your haters saying about you on the, the campaign? And the first one she went to was youth. Uh, did you what kind of did you have conversations with potential voters about her youth? About just how young she is? Yeah. Like, were people saying things about that? Like, did you get a sense like some people have some consternation about how young she is? And did you have to, like, diffuse that or? Um, I think other other people who had just worked on this campaign noted it. I didn't note it that much, but maybe it's just it was there was far less of it than in 2021. Even though Nick was a couple years older than Katie is right now, uh, Nick got a lot more questions about his age than Katie got, in my opinion. She's 30. She's 30, yeah. I think Nick was 32. Two years we have ago. council. We have many council members. I have lost track of how many 20-something council members we have. Maybe yeah. it's not that many. Maybe I'm uh, showing my own ignorance here. Well, do, you know, we, do you know, Jazz, do you know how many 20-something council members we have currently? I know we just elected one. Okay, so then at least three, right? Because then there's uh, Jason and Aisha. Jason and Aisha. I don't know how old Robin Wansley is. Yeah, I don't know either. So... But and then as well, like Lisa was in her early 30s when she was first elected, as we yeah. um, brought up both on this campaign and on next. Uh, what I'm saying is 30 years old is an adult, a fully yeah. functioning brain, fully developed adult, probably been out in the world doing stuff and judge them on that. Right. Yeah. Judge Katie, not for being 30, but for working at the United Nations. 
How, how, did you like the map I did with uh, the heads? The heads of Ward 7 uh, on each precinct, I put either a, a Scott Graham orange head or, um, <laughs> or the Katie Cashman head. Scott Graham only got three heads on the map out yeah. of the 12 precincts. This is what I'm saying. The the, the precinct victories, uh, who, which side won which, is exactly the same uh, with Mary Moriarty and Katie Cashman. I guess what I thought was interesting with redistricting, just as a note, because um, Precinct 7, 6, Downtown West uh, is the only one that is uh, got shrunk because the mm -hmm. half of Elliott Park used to be in there. And then Elliott Park was fully uh, um, reunified into Ward 6. Um, and I remember on the comments of the of like all the redistricting maps on that website that the Charter Commission had uh, during that, there were some comments that suggested that Lisa Goodman was opposed to Elliott Park like half of Elliott Park leaving Ward 7. Uh, and I don't know if that's true, but there seemed to be that implication. One thing that I thought was interesting as a result of that is looking at uh, between 2021 and 2022, uh, it seems like Nick and Mary had about the same number of votes, but the Lisa to Martha just dropped. So it really uh, gives that suggestion that whatever was happening in the part of Elliott Park that used to be in Ward 7 was a notable exception to the denser areas tend to be uh, more progressive, but there seemed to be this chunk of Lisa voters that just left. One of the things that happened before uh, the election like campaign really started, as candidates were announcing, I was sure that Kim Havey, who was like some sustainability person at the city of Minneapolis, real close friends with Lisa Goodman, I was sure that Kim Havey was going to be the candidate, not, not Scott Graham. It was going to be Kim Havey because I had heard he had been really upset at being redistricted out of mm. Ward 7. I think he lived in that No, sorry. Hey. It's okay. I can, we, I can closed a car door outside, and he's upset by that. It's Ward 7. Too. I actually don't live in Ward 7 anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I, I end up be. Hold up. Here, I'll let him be on camera. You can meet him, and then if I'm holding him, he will be less upset. There we go. So this is Ulysses. We've got a dog on the podcast. Yeah. Where do you breaking live now? Your, breaking your blatant cat favoritism. It's fine. I don't have a cat. I prefer dogs anyway. Oh, really? I did not know that. That's true. I do prefer dogs. Yeah. So I so I got involved with Nick's campaign in 2021 uh, because I, I wanted to get involved with the city council campaign. Uh, local politics has always been um, an area of focus for me, even when I lived in like, a small town where local politics really doesn't matter. Um, and it was my city council race. Uh, and then at around the new year, I moved up. I'm in Ward 1 now. I'm in Northeast. Uh, but as we said before, Elliot Payne was running unopposed. So I thought I should put my Ward 7 experience to use and help out Katie. Well, I'm very glad you did. I'm going to finish my Kim Havey story. And so Kim yeah. Havey immediately moved back into Ward 7. Why would someone complain vigorously about being redistricted out and then immediately move? back into Ward 7. That's a telltale sign that someone wants to be a candidate, right? It's not that he's yeah. desperate to cast more ballots in Ward 7, I wouldn't think. So that's what uh, that's why I was so sure it wasn't going to be Scott Graham, it was going to be Kim Havey, and it was didn't end up being the case. I don't know if there was like some reconsideration that I'd rather not ruin my life by becoming a candidate for office or what, but that was odd. Yeah, it... It doesn't. Obviously, I don't think either of us are privy to the to the scene to the 
scenes that would know what was going on there. But it really does beg a question, both especially in this race and a few others across the city, when you look at like maybe the more like all of Minneapolis camp, uh, there seemed to be a problem for them of drumming up compelling candidates. Yes. And I think there was a lot of situations where we were all like, oh, is this, is this the best, the best they can do? <laughs> yes. And, and I really want to know what's going on there. It's like, are they struggling to recruit candidates mm. who want to be affiliated with them or, or what, what is going on? Well, I hope it's not that like the life of a, uh, an elected official is just so miserable that it's driving people away because that can drive people away on both sides. But mm -hmm. there's a definitely a difference in quality and degree of how compelling these candidates are on both sides. And it's something to watch for 2025. Uh, can they come up with anyone? Because I'm thinking Katie's going to be a big target in 25. But like, is there anyone on that side? who can take her down as an incumbent who is like, can make a good case. Um, probably better than Scott Graham, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I am just truly astonished how it panned out that they, that like, you know, on one hand there was this, you know, the Lisa Goodman successor was this kind of like, not incredibly compelling candidate. No offense to Scott, if you're watching, um, versus like just an excellent candidate in Katie. And it seems so strange because on one hand, uh, you know, if you run in the all of Minneapolis type spheres, like it seems like it's pretty easy to walk into basically like a war chest of a campaign and have I so know. much money and resources ready to be rolled out for you. They and, have so and, many advantages. Yeah. They, and it, there should be people lining up for the opportunity to be the person who takes that spot versus it took so long to find a candidate in Ward 7. I remember I was part of two different efforts to find a candidate, and the first one just completely ran dry throughout uh, 2022. Me and some other uh, alumni from Nick's campaign were interviewing people and asking if they'd want to run, and we were just coming up with absolutely nothing. And then um, after Lisa announced that she was retiring, then there was uh, kind of this new effort to find a candidate. And, and it still took a while. Like, I think we were meeting for a few weeks and, the, and it seemed like every single person that anybody could possibly think of was just saying, no, it's not worth it. Uh, th this seems like a lot of effort for something that isn't worthwhile. And, and it just, I remember feeling a little bit in despair almost of being like, we have this excellent opportunity that Lisa is not running. And we can look at the numbers from 2022 and see like, oh, there's some sort of sea change in the air and there is an opportunity and the, the oven is hot. Let's get rolling. And we might just be wasting this opportunity just because no one is willing to step up and be the candidate. And then all of a sudden, uh, we finally, uh, I just suddenly hear like, oh, there, we found someone who's willing to run. Uh, her name's Katie Cashman. And I said, I don't know who this is. This name has never come up in all of these meetings I've been sitting through. Who is this person? What, what, what's going on? Will they be good? Uh, and then I, I went to her campaign kickoff event at Sisyphus Brewing. I think it was back in February. And uh, I talked to her and then I realized immediately, like, this is a winner through through this struggle to find a candidate. Somehow we landed upon perhaps the perfect person versus 
this other side that has all the resources that you could imagine and they can't come up with someone. I think that's astonishing. Yeah, you're you're coming in. You've got Lisa Goodman's endorsement, all the money in the world. Uh, progressive candidates have to ask their entire extended hundred, multi-hundred person social networks, please give me money. They're constantly on the phone. I don't know if like uh, the candidates on the all of Minneapolis side have to work that hard for the money because you basically have the Chamber of Commerce directing people. Uh, the, these are the good ones, uh, rich people. Uh, send them all your money. seems like it would be easier. And so, uh, yeah, it's a remarkable that nobody stepped in, wanted to step in and be Lisa Goodman's uh, successor there. Maybe the moral of the story is that maybe, maybe just optimistically, money doesn't win elections. Yard signs don't win elections. The only thing that wins elections is a winner's mindset and the heart of a champion. <laughs> that's that's right chaz that's right so chaz people only know you in these political spaces and they don't know what makes the the real chaz tick in his personal life uh tell us tell us about the real chaz uh yeah so i so i guess um even people who know me in politics know, so my day job is that i work for a union i work for the uh ask me locals at the university of minnesota um representing clerical, technical, and healthcare workers. But like, that's not even, that's not the, this is both like presence in union spheres and politics spheres is something that I kind of like accidentally fell into and I'm happy to be here. But um, I come from a theater background. Like that's what I went to school for. I studied uh, writing and directing in London at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Um, and then I moved to Minneapolis finally in 2019 and I did, I did one show and then COVID happened almost immediately after it, it closed like the last day of February, 2020, shortly before the lockdown occurred. Uh, and so it's uh, a lot of people don't realize that I, I do theater and to me, like that's what I consider my main thing, even though a lot of people don't know that yet. Uh, so I'm really excited to be getting back into it uh, this year. And then um I, I'm going to be directing a production of Hamlet that's going to go up in February, and I don't I don't have more details than that yet, but there's more coming soon. And I'm really where's excited. it going to be? Uh, Do we, you know that? We can't say yet. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. But it's not it's not going to be at a traditional theater venue. We're not going to be using traditional theater lights. We're going to be we're going to be doing something a little bit more experimental that should hopefully feel a little bit more dreamlike. Uh, tw in 2020, a lot of things ended for a lot of people. We all had the experience of losing something we cared a lot about. And so you are just now, so in 2024, you're going to be, that is your comeback, right? I guess. Yeah. That's a long time to be without something that is very important to you. So I'm happy to see Chaz making a comeback in 2024. Stay tuned. How can we... Uh, be apprised of the developments in Chaz's theater career? Um, I guess we, we haven't rolled out our new socials for the, the company yet, but the company is called Novagrex, N-O-V-A-G-R-E-X. Um, but in the meantime, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm at Chaz Mayo, uh, the corduroy boy is my display name. Uh, I, I'll post about it there and uh, I can let, I'll post about when we have those socials up and people can uh, follow those if they want to know what's going on with me theater wise as well as I'll probably just post about what I'm doing on occasion. Do you have any my last I usually ask people for recommendations, but I thought I would change it up for you because you are uh, just a font of political knowledge about Ward 7. Uh, tell me something about Ward 7 politically that is amazing or you can opt out of this question. I can simply just ask you for a basic recommendations and I can cancel this. 
Okay. Well, maybe this isn't necessarily something amazing, and maybe and feel free to say like, no, oh, this isn't good. Figure out figure out something else. But this is this is just my little rant that nobody else cares about. Uh, but one hobby of mine, uh, uh, door knocking in Ward Seven, particularly the large apartment buildings, has been whenever I see a coffee machine in an apartment lobby, uh, I immediately go to it and try it out, see how it works. And I gotta say the 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 space has declined in the last two years. There are way less coffee machines in apartment lobbies. Some of them have been removed or some of them have no longer been maintained. There's never any coffee in them. And I, I, I just want to know of all these, all these luxury apartment complexes going up and they are, they are, they are not holding up their end of the bargain of these alleged amenities they're offering. I have to assume if yeah. based only on the coffee in their lobby. It says something about the housing market that the coffee machine perk is being neglected or rescinded to this degree. And forget rent control, rent stabilization. That debate is so 2022 or 21. Uh, some kind of control to maintain the level of coffee services in these new newly constructed buildings, I think, is in order. Yeah. And even and even just general the lobbies. I feel like a lot of the furniture became less cozy over the past two years. There's not... They're, they don't. They don't want the uh, the lobbies of their apartment buildings to be welcoming anymore. Yeah. Maybe it's intentional, or maybe it's just uh, you know dropping the ball. I don't know. Hmm. Well, Chaz Mayo, thank you for joining me and sharing your experiences on the the victorious Katie Cashman campaign this year, twenty twenty three. Congratulations to you, the real undercover hero, the unsung hero that no one talks about, uh, Chaz Mayo. Uh, campaign volunteer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Your dog is growling at me as I close out this episode. This is the Wedge Live podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, John Edwards. Thank you for listening. He hates podcast ending. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. Today. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.